Hey, everyone. So just a shout out for our sponsor, Picture House in the Small Dark Room. They've been an incredible partner for us this um, season for the podcast. And we're just so grateful to have them. And not just because they're sponsoring, but because we really love those guys. And yeah. we're actually doing a lot of stuff with them that we'll announce later, things that have to do with some programs the foundation is going to launch. So it's it's really gone from just sponsoring the podcast to a much deeper relationship. And I think that just says a lot about their values, how supportive they are of the foundation, of the PhotoWork Foundation, and, and how much they want to help out. And as everyone knows, I, I've been over there a lot to discuss things with them, and I have artists who print with them, work on various post projects with them. And it's it just everyone loves hanging out over there. At the lab, It's you say lab, it sounds so sterile, but it's like this really cool space. It's on a number of floors and in Chelsea in New York. Yeah, they call it their studio. Right. And they, they're an incredible resource. It's a film lab. They do scanning, printing, retouching. They sell film. And of course, the book. they have a bookstore with live events. Uh, and they have a mini lab where you can have prints made of all different sizes. Love the mini yeah. lab. <laughs> <laughs> they are Picture House in the Small Dark Room. Their website is ph. T-S-D-R for Picture House, the Small Darkroom, dot com. And so is their Instagram, P-H-T-S-D-R. Uh, and you can check out the Instagram or the website to see if they're having specials or what's going on at the bookstore. And again, it's, it's an incredible place to have in New York. And you don't have to be in New York. You know, you can send them in film, mm -hmm. start a relationship with those guys. They will take care of you. I promise. That's who they are. They are That's really right. committed to, to doing a great job for everyone, whoever you are, whether you're a big shot or a small <laughs> shot. So, um, <laughs> so check them out. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, Woody Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording from Woodstock, New York, back from my travels to far-off places, and happy to be reunited with this guy, one of my favorite guys, Mr. Reunited. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joining in because <laughs> everyone would, herb. Come on. It, it would it, it would hurt people's ears and any goodwill I have would vanish in the blink of an eye. Mr. Michael Chauvin Dalton, hello. Who knew you had the Hi chops? There. Hi. <laughs> wow. And you're back from Iceland, which was great and also probably a little stressful. Well, just the ending. Um, yeah, we, okay. Peter and I, Peter Kaofis and I uh, went to Iceland for our, I don't know, we've lost track, fourth or fifth time. <laughs> um, it's where we go uh, to go hiking. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end of our trip, there started to be a lot of uh, volcanic earthquake activity. And the area that's most affected is very close to the airport, the only 
international airport. So mm-hmm. yeah, we cut the trip a little short just to make sure we could leave. But we had a wonderful trip and I almost slid off a mountain, but I didn't. <laughs> okay. Peter did not react quickly enough, but I still love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I paid I, I paid him back when we were at the the end of a road on the eastern side of the West Fjords and we got mm. to the top of a mountain and we hit an ice big ice patch and it looked like the car might go <laughs> over a cliff. Oh wow. And I jumped out. <laughs> I was like, Good luck, Peter. Um <laughs> I was like, I'm not staying in the car. I literally got out as it was sliding and then proceeded to get my phone out and start recording it. That's the part Peter's most annoyed about. Um, But I felt like, you know, (laughs) but anyway, we made it. Um, It was a couple moments that were a little dicey, but that's part of the adventure. So yeah, great. Yeah. A great time. And, you know, I'm lucky to love where I am up here in beautiful upstate. So not Mm -hmm. bad coming back to beautiful fall. It's gorgeous here. So yeah, back to uh, your wood stove. Yeah. Yeah. Wood stove is roaring. Very cozy. So how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm feeling uh, all good. Yeah. (laughs) I was good enough to get my flu shot finally. Oh, good. Excellent. (laughs) I feel like I'm always giving a medical report now. (laughs) Well, you know, you have kids and you teach Mm -hmm. and you're in the danger zone. (laughs) Yes. My nephew, Zeke, and his girlfriend, Tula, are staying with me at my place in the city and they both got they're young youngsters and they both um Zeke just graduated from from college they both got jobs at Trader Joe's and they're sick all the time now it, it, oh, tur- it turns out yeah. it's like you know working in daycare um right so, <laughs> um <laughs> well at organic food <laughs> But they bring home so many goodies that it sort of cushions the blow of being constantly sick. They're like, I feel terrible, but I've got this huge bag of three types of caramel crunch. So, (laughs) and mini spanakopita, rife is good. Oh, I love their mini spanakopita. I'm a big fan. <laughs> the Trader Joe's podcast. Okay, so um, moving right along. So yes. this is the second of our three shows that we recorded in Atlanta. And mm-hmm. um, it's a conversation with the photographer, Irina Rozovsky. And I love this episode, personally. Yeah, this, it's, this is a really nice episode. And of course, Arena visited us while we were at the High Museum to see Along Arc Photography in the American South since 1845. And Arena's in the show. Yep. Uh, so it was a, yeah, it was a really lovely conversation. Arena's really open and honest about the way her approach to photography changed over time becoming a mother and a partner and and then relocating down south. And that had a big impact on her life and her practice. And this is a very practice-oriented show. It's, it's fantastic. It is. It's it, One of the things that really struck me about the conversation is how undefended mm. Arena is. So everything just feels really extremely honest. I mean, I, I like yes. to think that most of our guests are like that, but people, <laughs> <laughs> people have 
different. I told the truth <laughs> once. I don't know. What <laughs> That's so funny because either have I. Yeah, I don't, I don't have kids. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't even like photography. That's right. <laughs> but yes, no, absolutely. Uh, it was really interesting. Yeah, she's episode. really yeah. open and just so honest about everything. There's like a way in which... She seems really at peace with the way different things in her life have impacted her practice, mm-hmm. like a, a way of just really going with it and not fighting things and just adapting. Including not even always thinking photography was going to be the final pursuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and wait till you hear what sport she was in in college. Right. right. I love those wacky little <laughs> revelations. Yes. Yeah, that was a good one. I was yeah. like, what now? Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> well, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. It's a little shorter than some episodes. We started to get quite a bit of traffic in the area where we were recording. <laughs> yes, you might hear a little bit of that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it, it started to build up as a meeting commenced right mm-hmm. next door to where we were. So nonetheless, we get in all the good stuff and, and it's really lovely. So Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure and welcome back. And here is your conversation with Arena Rosowski. Irina Rozovsky, welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. It's great to have you sitting across the table from me. How are you? It's great to be sitting across the table from you. <laughs> I'm good. Nice Yay. To you and I have known each other for a long time. It's true. Um, and we're meeting here in Atlanta. So thank you for driving from Athens, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia to be with Michael Chauvin Dalton. <laughs> and uh, hey guys, and I welcome to morning. Atlanta. Welcome yeah, to, welcome to you to the Peach State. Yeah, it's swampy. Yeah, it was weird leaving a uh, cool upstate New York where I was, you know, making fires and arriving in in. Uh, a lot of humidity down here. It's true what they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so we start every uh, podcast with a guest's sort of journey. So biography, if you mm. could tell us all about yourself, that would be great. Mm. How far back are we talking? Yeah, start at the beginning, you know. Is this a photographic journey or, or a... Well, uh... I think it's important that you were not born here you you hail from somewhere else and so yeah i hail from a a foreign land that was made more foreign by the politics of the soviet union and then um i guess i was eight seven or eight it was 1988 we packed bags and we left they put some jewels they stuck some jewels inside my doll to Mm -hmm. sneak them out and we said our goodbyes and i think my parents were saying like just a very never see you again to their parents and um we went to austria and then italy that was the mm-hmm, the route the yeah. route and um there's some jewish organizations that that were bringing people over and then we landed in boston north boston lynn 
City of Sin, and um, just took it from there. And then photography came into the picture in high school. Where were you in high school? I was in Newton. We lived, so you were still in Massachusetts. We, we yeah. stayed in Massachusetts. We just moved around based on work. But then we moved to Newton for the schools and lived on this street right under the um, telephone towers. You know, it's like the cheapest place to live in mm-hmm. Newton just for the schools. And um, we had, there was this incredible teacher, Mr. Bouchal, and he had long hair and played the trumpet and never walked into the dark room. So the kids were always teaching each other. Mm-hmm. And somehow... There's this like national prize for photography that brought people to DC, and he'd just be taking people there every single year. And I don't know how he did it, but he really set me aflame. And he gave me over the summer like a little suitcase, like mm-hmm. a spy dark room that I set up in the basement, and um, like a little fold out enlarger. It just was this like obsession, you know. I never thought I'd be a photographer, but it was just a way to be in the world. It like really activated things for me. And from there, from your little fold-out and larger, what was the journey through if you went to college? Mm-hmm. Or? I went to Tufts for pole vault. <laughs> pole, I was a pole vaulter, and um, I studied French and Spanish. The only guest who's majored in pole vault. Uh, yeah. It was, I would say, a very minute <laughs> minor. And um, no, I was on the track team for like a, one season, and there were no other pole vaulters, so it was just always me against myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and But I was spending like every living moment in the dark room with one of the professor there was Roswell Anger. Mm-hmm. And, um, no, Roswell Anger. Yep, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> I got out of college, and I had this French and Spanish major. I had lived in for, in Spain for a bit, so that that helped. You know, I was doing like photography there, just finding dark rooms as I went along to sneak into. And then when I finished school, I thought I would be a, I don't know what I thought, nothing, nothing really good. But then I just kept doing photography, and then realized there's no other path. And I went to Mass Art for grad school, and then got the chance to be a TA at Harvard with mm-hmm. Chris Killip and Sharon Harper. Mm-hmm. And Sharon really took me under her wing and taught me a lot and then sent me off to New York. Mm-hmm. And then I think I met you mm-hmm. early on. I think I was taking like the secret Chinatown bus to your workshop. Yeah. And bit by bit, you know, I was teaching a lot. I was teaching in Boston and New York, just back and forth, and then um, got a full-time job at MassArt. I had published a book about Israel, and then a book about Cuba, and then and then I met Mark, and we moved down here. Mm-hmm. And now we run the humid and yeah, I want to talk a little bit about yeah. the humid. If we can we can get to that. So one of the I mean I obviously know your work pretty well, but one thing I really had fun with was you know reading some interviews you've you've done in the past and finding some really great nuggets there that I want to ask you about. So you did an interview in rocket science with a guy named Jack Dees, and he asked you about getting into photography and whether that was the plan. And you said, there was never a plan, just a gradual realization that photography was what I needed and wanted to do against all odds. I had never formally studied it, so I threw myself into an MFA. I had a few interesting jobs after college that used my Russian, Spanish, and French, but I always felt like an operator relaying across cultural divides a message that I could decode, but that didn't belong to me. 
the part of the brain where languages live is a very fertile place for me, but photography was a truer form of communication, the most expressive means I knew by which to actually say something. Can you talk about that? Because I know that, of course, that's how a lot of artists feel, and it's something that we just sort of take for granted. But I want to I talk about it a little bit, that moment, because I you know, studied art as well, and I had that moment I read that and I was like, yup, like I had that exact same sort of epiphany in my life. And it, it is hard to explain, but I thought, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about if you remember the moment where you realized that this was the way you wanted to communicate mm-hmm. to the world? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever thought about the world, you know. I just remember having all these jobs, like I had this amazing opportunity to work. You know, we we first came to Lynn when I was a kid, and then somehow I got this call after college when I was completely flailing and just taking any job sort of related to languages. And they said, do you want to run an after-school program for refugee kids in Lynn? That um, They had come from Africa and Afghanistan and some from Russia. And I said, of course. And and then, you know, I'm working with these kids, and yet half my brain is taken up with ideas for photos of them mm-hmm. or projects. And then in the end, it ended up being like, you know, we got a donation of all these cameras and film, and we would just take photos and have organized their photos. And so it just, the effort it took me to stay in the moment and do a job without thinking about photography was so much greater than actually doing photography. You know, I would have all these translation gigs and it was always just in the, you know, all I wanted was to photograph the people I was talking to rather than actually talk to them. Yeah, I think I was just fooling myself that I could do anything else. And in terms of communicating to the world, yeah, it was never really, I don't think I had an audience in mind. I think it was just... Communicating. I should have ended the sentence there, communicating. Yeah, I think it was just like kind of bouncing off the surface of the world in front of me just as a confirmation that I'm here and I'm seeing this mm. and and that the world is a kind of like clay that you could mold and interact with mm-hmm. through the camera. Mm-hmm. When that's happening and you're realizing that this is something that you feel sort of a urgency or a must be in your life, what work are you looking at? I mean, what who is starting to make a mark mm-hmm. sort of in your photographic DNA of your of your psyche? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the library at, at Tufts, and I, I think before, and I would just pile up these stacks of books, and, it, you know, in, in those piles was Malik Sidbey was a big deal mm-hmm. for me, and um, Nan Golden and Eggleston, for sure. I remember calling Eggleston, like trying to find his phone number, you know, in the yellow pages and finding some Egglestons in Memphis and calling his son to see if I could go down and meet Eggleston. And they had just had a storm and they're like, oh, no, Bill's not available. But, you know, I think I talked to his wife, to the wife of one of his sons. I don't know what son that was, but I looked at Jeff Wall and, you know, Billingham and um, Renike Dijkstra you know, just the the classics. Yeah, just kind of trying to inhale it. Lartigue, I remember, was really mind-boggling mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I first saw. And who did you study with at Mass Art? At Mass Art, it was 
Well, I had first, you know, kind of snuck into MassArt to try to use their color processor. Mm-hmm. And I had like kind of a grad <laughs> student who I learned color with and then bumped into Abe and Laura in the hallway. And I was like, I just want to be, yeah. I just want to, I mean, I was so Abe hungry. Abe and Laura McFay. Yeah, I bumped mm-hmm. into them before I actually applied and, and um, they're kind of giving me the up and down like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe one day. And then, but I actually was studying, yeah, Abe was my first semester and Barbara and Frank Goldkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Nick Nixon and Matt Connors. Matt Connors made a big impact on me, mm-hmm. actually. I didn't realize Matt was there when you were there. But. Yeah, I think he had just come uh-huh. the year before. So the Israel work is your first, am I right about this sort of really comprehensive body of work that goes out into the world. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that work? And Yeah, I was thinking about it on the way over here, you know, because it's surreal to to be in the midst of, of the news mm-hmm. and, and think about what the hell I was doing there. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, what happened was I, you know, I got there without the aim to photograph. Of course, my camera was with me, and I, like, the minute I got there, I, you know, my anecdote is that I realized that I didn't bring enough film. That was just, like, my first realization that this was going to be really big. And it was the first time I realized that what was going to happen was going to happen discreetly there. Like, it had to do, everything I was going to make was about this place, and that the place was just so layered and so, had so many sides besides the two that are always in the news and that and that the struggle was real and the struggle was at the root the, in the DNA you know and in the in the landscape it just was very pivotal for me and kind of mind-shattering and that even though I'm Jewish and you know I was just sort of like a channel mm-hmm. and I was hoping to just everything I saw was about this struggle, you know, this kind of fight. The fight was at the the kind of the root and in every particle of that place. And that the fight is, sadly, from what I saw, was not, like, resolvable. Mm-hmm. You, Sasha, personally put the idea in my head to go back a second time because mm-hmm. I hadn't – I never considered the idea of a reshoot. Mm-hmm. You know, I just always was <laughs> – photography for me was like – how could you reshoot it? Everything's different. The light mm-hmm. is different. The subject's different. Things don't stay the same, you know. And in grad school, there was always this. Well, this does. This image doesn't work out. Why don't you just reshoot it? And it just always seemed preposterous to me. And you said, um, you know, I had gotten to Israel on kind of a this spontaneous whim. And you looked at the work and you said, well, maybe you should go back. And I said, this woman is crazy. <laughs> and then I just couldn't get the idea out of my head. And it, you know, it was the first time that I realized, you know, in my in my early career that, of course. It is about this enduring return, mm-hmm. and so thank you. My pleasure. You know, in looking at your work in sort of a different way, not as projects have come out, but just sitting down and really looking at everything, getting ready to talk to you today, it really struck me how cohesive all of your work is, which is just not the case with a lot of people. And A lot of people it is the case, a lot of people it's not the case. But you have a really strong visual style. Do you agree with that or? I'd love to hear more, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, I I see in some ways it's like, I hadn't thought of this before, but some of your pictures remind me almost of Rinko Kaouchi a little bit, which is a compliment, Um, love that work. But just the, the incredible lushness and sort of 
meets languid, meets... There is a real languid quality to a lot of your work, which I think is very you, in a way. Um, it, it makes sense to me. It's almost as if you can feel you yelling at us. No, because mm -hmm. it's languid, so you're not yelling. But you <laughs> imploring us gently to slow down mm -hmm. in your photographs and pointing at it often the banal, but making metaphor out of it. But even when it's not the banal, often the bodies and uh, pictures have a certain languid quality. It's funny because in some ways it's like the fact that you're now down south mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where it all feels like that to mm -hmm. me, like makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But how do you think ab about it? That's mm. well, well, thank you. I'm going to take everything you said as a compliment. I'm just going to do it is that. a compliment. <laughs> Thanks. But um, yeah, I mean, language is a big deal, like reading and literature, but not in the, you know, not in a big L snobby sort of mm -hmm. way, but that a picture should be read, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, I would hope that a picture can be like a poem or like a story, but I used to write stories and writing is important to me, but mm -hmm. I have a really hard time writing a, you know, an essay and it has to you know, in a kind of analytical way, like I can't analyze anything, but I can have a feeling towards it. And so I think everything is an attempt to analyze and always a failure to analyze. And every photo is an impression and a expression of a feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, I think mm -hmm. I operate on first impressions. That's why when I get somewhere, I start making pictures quickly. You know, I'm not the kind of person that needs to like research mm -hmm. and take my time, like things happen very quickly for me in the immediate mm -hmm. response. And like first impressions are always, you know, hit me really hard and deep. And so... Well, I can, I can read you something you said in that same interview about that. You, you said, because I love this, so if you don't mind, you said behind the wheel, you stop being conscious of the actual driving, your mind drifts, and then you've suddenly arrived. I don't know why that makes me want to cry. Mm -hmm. um, that's what shooting towards a nebulous end goal feels like for me. It's happening in another kind of consciousness. I think photographers make a lot of decisions and edits constantly without being aware of them. I like to work in a mental space where the decisions sort of make themselves. I'm steeping in a haze, but somehow arrive at the whole. It's not always so smooth. I really love that. Except <laughs> no recollection of writing it, yeah. but it no. sounds okay. <laughs> yeah, sounds it's great. I really love it. You go on to talk about the way you're working now, which has changed. But before we get to that, can you talk about that? Because, you know, that's a very specific way of working. You're talking about the more intuitive approach to working. You know, Obviously, you have to have a really strong foundation. Like, so how do you balance what you know about photography and how to make a good photograph with giving yourself permission to stay in that very sort of, there's a, a great word for it that I'm just not thinking of right now, that space, that more liminal mm -hmm. space when you're shooting. I mean, I think you, yeah, you kind of go in and out of different, like mental states, you know, sometimes you just see something and you, it knocks everything off kilter and you realize that 
maybe the way athletes respond, you know, where it's mm -hmm. just you, you're not thinking, you mm -hmm. can't think. And then, but at a certain point, the thinking kicks in. But I do believe that you're always... Athletes who have trained their asses off yeah. to then be in the moment where they can catch the ball React. or... Right. Yeah, and I ball. think that reaction can be dulled, you know, and I think a lot of people maybe even now, they curtail it or they... And I see this in myself too, like if, you know... You have, to, and that's why you know I I love Mark's work, and because I see him practice it, the picture's always a priority. Yes, if, even if we're late, he'll stop the car and he'll take the photo. Whereas I kind of, I have to swallow it. You know, I'm like, oh no, I go okay, maybe later. You know, mm -hmm. just lately. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think there's different kinds of instincts. There's the mental instinct that needs to kick in at a certain point, but in the in the moment of shooting. You just know, you just, you know, it just hits you and you know, at, at least for me, you mm -hmm. know, and it, it, you just hope and pray that that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be like in a complete doubt, you know, or in a spiraling out of control, but then the picture will come and it's like this clarifying, oh, okay, there it is. And then what about editing? Because when you shoot the way you shoot, you can wind up with a lot of work and a lot of shaping that needs to happen. I mean, a lot of photographers are sort of editing while they're shooting, and it's much more conscripted, and there's m many more boundaries. And so you're out there, and you're working in that space where you're really letting your instincts guide the pictures that you're, that you're making. Then you get into the studio. You have all this work. How does it get shaped? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think you do sort of edit as you shoot, but you're not, you don't know what you're editing towards, but maybe this sounds hypocritical, but in a way, like each, each photo, you're sort of weighing what you've made already. You know, maybe I'm at a point where I, I can have this sort of mental like catalog of all the pictures mm -hmm. I've made. So as I'm shooting, there's an editing aspect of like, okay, my, is this repetitive? And mm -hmm. usually it is, you know, but why? Because you're drawn to the you're same drawn thing. To it, right? right. And you, and then sometimes you're like, wait a minute, I've shot this, but is there a different way or is there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But of course you only, each person only has like three or four things that they can do. Mm -hmm. you know and in terms of editing after the fact i kind of always think about this is important to me take note like i <laughs> i like to echo the feeling of shooting in the editing so so hopefully that the the book or the show or whatever i'm editing towards can echo or embody the act of taking the picture can sort of i, I don't i don't want to take the essence of the photo away from it so you know, for instance, the work in the park, the book in plain air. In plain air, I hope that the book published by Mac, <laughs> copy still available. <laughs> um, the book can, from beginning to end, can somehow circle back to the act of seeing, you know, or, mm -hmm. or making the pictures. I love this. The, everything you said in this this piece so much. I'm just going to quote it <laughs> one last time. You said more recently, since becoming a mother and moving to Georgia. I've had no opportunity to get lost in distant lands, and my way of making photos has come entirely undone. I've turned to photographing in a way that's difficult and awkward to understand. The camera is not so much the third eye that it used to be, but a conniving provocateur. I make hundreds of photos of essentially the same thing, like a basketball player practicing a layup. It feels balletic in its individual movements, but the entirety is still unknown. Do you remember writing that? <laughs> <laughs> when was that? That was like 2018? I don't know what year it was. Oh, my God. Let's talk about this new way of working since you moved to Georgia and became a mom and a partner. 
you know, I think a lot of it has to do with also shooting digitally, and I shoot a lot with the phone, and I think that medium almost, like, requires repetition, you know, you've got the kind of the blast, you can blast through things, and, you know, I used to tell students that when you're shooting film, you have your 12 darts, and you preciously and precisely try to throw them towards the center, mm -hmm. and then when you're shooting with the iPhone or the digital camera, it's like you've got this big ass bucket of darts and you're just throwing them mm -hmm. haphazardly in the mm -hmm. air and hoping something will stick. And I've had to embrace that because it's, you know, it's maddening, but also kind of liberating. And the editing happens much faster. I'll take a lot of pictures and then they'll race them all to make more room on the phone. I mean, it's really chaotic. The editing is just like in real time as I'm shooting, I'm looking and then I'm fixing. And But it's a different extension. It's just like another way to shoot. It's maybe a little bit more like um, just a, a very different pace. It sounds like equipment and gear is not very important to you. I think it's it's important in that it does shape how you operate, mm -hmm. how I operate, mm -hmm. you know? So it does, it does change it. But you're going with the flow. It. You're like, I, I guess I'll just But I got to make a picture. Right. And I, I also want to stay true to the equipment in that the camera sort of has a part in what the photo experience is and what the photo will look like. But also, you know, I'm aware that film and a medium format camera has its own romance. And, and I want to embrace that and push that and that the digital camera or an iPhone has its own language. And so what can you say with that? What do you feel comfortable sharing about being in a long-term relationship, <laughs> um, <laughs> partnership, with a pretty famous photographer? Is that, how does that affect things? And what can you talk about that you feel comfortable saying? You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. No, it's funny. You know, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's so normal to me. We support each other and we also keep our own space, you know, mm -hmm. we, I, I think the more time goes on, the more space we've created around our own work, but I don't do anything without asking what Mark thinks. And, and I don't think vice versa, but he's also so bottomless and infinite in his work that he's always pulling things out that brings me back to the past. You know, he's making, he's showing me photos from decades ago that still feel so new and fresh to me. And I find a lot of inspiration in that. And then photography between us is like this constant ping pong within our lives, you know. Yeah, you've done a project together. Yes, we just did a book together. But, you know, people don't write letters anymore. But I think our communications through the phone, you know, where there's <laughs> the shopping list or the, the broken this or that. And then, you know, this like epiphany revelation photo of the sun coming up and reflecting in the dirty dishes on mm -hmm. the, on the mm -hmm. counter. It's all mixed in, you mm -hmm. know, it's all like, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but sort of like art is in the life, in the folds, mm -hmm. in the, the mm -hmm. kind of musty, greasy folds of life. Uh, yeah, but, you know, this book that, that we did together was the first time that it was like an official sort of collaboration, mm -hmm. and that's been kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to tell people about the book? Well, we were in, we were in Italy mm -hmm. on this residency kind of commission, and we were photographing in different places, you know, in very different ways. And then th with this publisher shows, Comune Cecile, She's the publisher, and Stefani and Massimo in Italy, we went through some edits. And, you know, it's always kind of interesting to see how someone else shapes your personal work, but to how someone saw 
that collaboration mm -hmm. and that wave that you can create with different kinds of images. I wish I'd been asked to edit that. <laughs> Very. Grr. There's a lot of pictures left. <laughs> okay, call me. Let's um, talk. Yeah, and you know, like also when you ask about things with Mark, it's just always fascinating and maddening to be in the same place at the same time because we'll always photograph the same thing different mm -hmm, times. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll come home and be like, oh, did you see that pole on the corner? And he'll either run out and look at it or be like, oh, yeah, I saw it. I photographed it. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have the same picture. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, the echo chamber is just booming. Yeah. But that's beautiful, I think. It's very moving. So tell me about the humid. I'd love for people to hear about that. Well, that's our also, you know, that's that was Mark's promise for what Georgia held in store. If you move down here. If I moved yeah. down here because I was happily, you know, had my, my job in Boston and mm -hmm. didn't think much of the cold and the shitty weather. And he said, no, it's really nice down there and we could have more space in the studio. And I had never had a studio. I was like, well, what would I do in a studio? And then... Um, bit by bit, we created the space and we had to, our first workshop was with Baldwin Lee and Mike Smith. And I just remember I had this image, you know, I'm walking the stroller. Our kid would only sleep in the stroller. And I was like looking at all these kudzui covered trees. And I was thinking, like, how do I write the humid? We needed a font, you know, things I had mm -hmm. never thought about in mm -hmm. my life. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it just all like, you know, we built it from scratch. And it's been um, one of my favorite tote bags. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we have a space and we, it's horrific to say, but COVID was really good in that we got to do things online. We mm -hmm. had, a, you yep. know, artist talks with Christine Potter mm -hmm. and um, everything was so accessible online. So mm -hmm. Saurabh Hura was in India and Christine was in Nashville and Carolyn Drake was in, uh, on the West Coast and we did a thing with her and, and Paul Sheik. And um, anyway, Dana Luxemburg was in Holland and mm -hmm. yeah. Just All amazing people. I mean, this is, I think the photography, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the photography community is so unique this way in terms of, you know, being able to constantly bolster community with these offerings and, and these creations and all of a sudden something will pop up and exist for a year or two or mm -hmm. five years and become such a great community building and knowledge center and then another anyway mm -hmm. feels like things mm -hmm. are always building on yeah i agree with you and um i always you know laughed at the word community in college because it was this buzzword mm -hmm. but i do believe that there is this like need and hunger to interact and mm -hmm. come together and correlate and it's it's neat to have you know, we do these workshops and people show up from different places right, yeah. and they have good work. And yeah. because it used to be just grad school, you know, mm -hmm. that you, and now, you know, no, they have full time jobs and they, yeah. they're doctors, but yeah. they've been they have these amazing projects yeah, that they've course. been working on. And it's a great format to be able to share. What does the humid have coming up and when? We did. Uh, we have a in-person workshop in November and I'm looking to invite we, I want to do a. Another portfolio review, the last one was Teju Cole and Liv Constable um, from Mac and Jackie Bates and Michael Famigetti from Aperture. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping to do another one because that seems really helpful to people. Yes. And yeah. um, yep. to share work. Critique with great people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, we did a workshop with Mark in France last summer. Mm -hmm. It was our first one. It was kind of just a lark. And so we hope to do another one this coming summer. Nice. Um, in the south of France. Yeah, hopefully some online lectures too. That sounds great. Well, 
Thank you so much for being with Michael Chauvin Dalton. And I today, I can't just say Michael. (laughs) Impossible. Um, It sounds like it's asking to be uh, initials. (laughs) MCD. Yeah, it is MCD. Um, It's so wonderful to see you. Thank you, Sasha. Thanks for having me. just a joy. So, yep, thank you. And uh, we'll Over see you and soon. Out. Over yeah. and out. Thanks, guys. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is a production of the Photo Work Foundation. Executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and the associate producer is Taylor Selsback. The show is also produced and edited by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. Music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show and wish to find out more about the foundation, please visit photowork.foundation and be sure to subscribe and review with all the stars on your listening platform.